All right, we are in Acts chapter 26, and I want you to notice what it says in verse 20. It says, But showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. So notice that phrase, works meet for repentance. That's the title of the message tonight. And notice in this passage how this was something that they were preaching everywhere. They were telling all these different people in different groups. And there's Gentiles specifically mentioned here. They're telling them to do works meet for repentance. And this is exactly what we see too in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 6. And were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourself, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So notice how... What John the Baptist said was exactly what Paul was saying to Gentiles, do works meet for repentance. But does anybody think that Paul said to any Gentile after he said do works meet for repentance and say not to within yourself we have Abraham as our father? Does anybody think Paul had to say that to any Gentiles? Of course not. You know why? Because Jews and Gentiles had very different hang-ups. They had very different issues. But at the same time too, when it comes to salvation... They all need to believe on Christ. They all need to recognize they're sinners. But that sin, you know, the specifics of those sins were going to be very di- different between Jews and Gentiles. And, and I want us to uh, notice something about that phrase, too. When he says, do works, meet for repentance, this is actually a very general statement. This is not a very specific statement. And it's one that could be applied in many different ways. And as I mentioned this morning, in some of these messages, I think I'm just, what I'm wanting to do is I'm wanting to help you all judge things yourself. Now, I don't have a problem with this in this church. I'm going to guess probably most pastors don't have a ton of trouble with this. Obviously, I encourage questions. I'm fine with questions. But when it comes to, there are some questions that I get from people sometimes where I'm just like, I I can't believe you even need to ask me that question. Now, typically, these are people who are not in churches that follow online. My wife, she's got ladies that watch her program. And, you know, we are regularly horrified by questions that we get asked about, like, is this okay or is this wrong? It's just like, really? You you really need to ask me that. There's Is there a question on that? And the reality is, too, because, you know, if you're just not in church, you're going to have a hard time being balanced. You're going to have a hard time getting the full package. You know, if you're only listening to my... You know, my preaching because you mainly like the prophecy stuff or stuff about reprobates, you're not going to get the full package. You've got to get, you've got to get a balanced diet of things. And I'm amazed at sometimes people's inability to judge certain things that we should be able to judge. And so when you see a statement like, works meet for repentance, do I need to get super specific with you and tell you every one of those things? Do I need to get up tonight while preaching a sermon about works meet for repentance? Do I need to make a list of those works that are meet for repentance and works that are not meet for repentance? If I do, there's kind of a problem there. But I want us to go on because I want to to show you some things about this. There are actually many things in the Bible that are, they are very general. They are not very specific, but God expects us to have common sense, and to be able to judge these things. But what we've got going on today is we've got a new movement of lascivious people, people who have turned the grace of God into lasciviousness and are being contentious, and they are demanding that you give them specifics in areas where the Bible doesn't really give specifics because it shouldn't need to. God, I think God expects us to have some common sense, and yet it just goes out the window for most people. And then this is what's killing me too. In the Baptist world, in the IFB world, what, what's, what I'm seeing happening is often in the Baptist world, in trying to stand up for right, we often misuse the Scripture to get to that right place. If, you, if we do that, the lascivious crowd, the trendies are going to have a heyday with it. And I'm learning more and more. Any area 
where we are inaccurate with the scriptures, the enemy is going to exploit that big time. That's why we always got to make sure we are rightly dividing and being accurate in whatever we're preaching. And so uh, I want to focus on this idea, though, of works meet for repentance for a little bit to help you understand this concept. So first off, what does that mean, works meet for repentance? And that word meet, it, it means suitable, something that you would expect, something that is worthy of, something that is appropriate for those who are claiming to be saved, someone who is claiming to have gotten saved, there is an expectation that's going to come. Now, let's look at uh, some uses. You don't have to follow all these. I'm going to jump around. And I'm not even going to look at all of them. I've got a bunch of them up here. But this word, me, is used in the Bible in this way a lot. Sometimes it's talking about meeting someone. Like I met this person the other day. That is, that is the way it's used. But here, it's not used that way. And the Bible... If we just read how it's used, we can figure out the definition. So Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. So a, a wife, a woman, it suits the man. It's good for a man. It completes a man. It's a good combination. It's, uh, in my opinion, and I think in God's opinion, a man is better off when he's got a woman by his side. She completes him. She's suitable for him. And I, I believe it's very important. I believe when a person gets saved, you can be a man and not have a wife, but I think you're going to be better off if you have a wife. And you can be saved and not have works meet for a saved person, but I think you're going to be better off if you're saved and you have some works that back up the, the life that you are claiming. I think that's very important. So in Exodus 8.25, And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, it is not meet so to do. For we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes? And will they not stone us? We will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice the Lord our God as he shall command us. Now what's Moses talking about there? At first, when Pharaoh's trying to negotiate with Moses a little bit, and he said, just go ahead and sacrifice to your God, but do it in the land. But Moses said, no, that's not meat. That's not suitable. And in this case, he's saying, this isn't suitable for the Egyptians. If the Egyptians see what we're doing, it will be an abomination to them. And they're going to attack us. They're going to turn on us because what we are doing is not suitable for them. And the reality was things were so bad in Egypt. Things were so wicked in Egypt. It was not meat for the Jews and the Egyptians to dwell together because what the Egyptians were doing was an abomination to the Jews and what the Jews were doing was an abomination to the Egyptians. It was better that they separate. And so that's what he, why he said it's not meat to do that. Job 34, 31, Surely it is meat to be said unto God, I have borne chastisement, I will not offend anymore. So it's, it's, it's appropriate to say this. Proverbs eleven twenty four. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is Meat, but it tendeth to poverty. More than is necessary, suitable. There's so many ways you can use that word. And, I, and just from the context, I think we can understand it. Jeremiah 26, 14, As for me, behold, I am in your hand. Do with me as seemeth good and meat unto you. What do you think is good? What do you think is appropriate? What do you think is meat? Jeremiah 27, 5, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground, by my great power, by my outstretched arm, and had given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. Now, I'm not even going to go into the rest of these, but just notice how whenever that word is being used, it's being used as a way to not be specific. It's like it's something that he's kind of leaving it up to them in a way. Hey, what is suitable? What is meet? What do you think is appropriate in this situation? And so in this, in, when you see that word being used, and in that statement, it is. It's up to the situation. It's up to uh, who we're talking to, how that is to be applied. The specifics are not there. But you know what? It's not hard to figure out what they are. You understand? Anytime you see that word meat being used, the specifics are never really included. But it takes very little study to look at the Scriptures and to figure out what those things would be. And it's the same thing today. So just a couple more examples. Romans one twenty seven says, And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, 
and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. What does that mean? It means when you see and when you find out about the queers and all the diseases and things they get, you're like, yeah, that, that was suitable. You know, they kind of deserve it. And you, know, and you don't really have sympathy for them. It's not like, you know, some nice person that you find out has cancer. You know, when you hear about that, it's like, man, that stinks. You know, they didn't deserve that. But, you know, sometimes these things happen. When you hear about a bunch of queers getting diseases and things like that, you're just like, yeah, that makes sense. That's suitable. That was meat. That is the recompense for their error. They, they deserve that. So, all of these things, it can be applied in so many ways. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. It's like, it's, it's not appropriate. It's not necessary. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because of the things that I have done. So worthy is another way you can look at that word. So the, the concept is definitely related. And uh, 2 Timothy 2.21 And if a man therefore purge himself from these, he should be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the Master's use and prepared unto every good work. That's something that's meet. It's, it's suitable. Why? Because it is. It's, it's, it's clean. It's a vessel of honor. And so it's, it's worthy to be used. And so in all of these places in the Bible where we see the word meet, it's not hard to figure out how it's being used, how to apply it, depending on the situation. But what I could put, and so what I could potentially do if I wanted for the rest of this message, I could get up and I can rip on sins that a Christian shouldn't be doing. I could talk about good works that a Christian should be doing. And you know what? It would be meat for me to do that. It would be meat for me to get up and to use this text verse about doing works, meat for repentance and start harping on things that Christians should do and things that they shouldn't do. That would be meat. It would be suitable. It would be appropriate. Because that is, that is a, that is a worthy subject. And this text fits that concept and it is worthy of that. But that's not what I'm going to do today. That's not going to be the focus. I'm not going to give you the list of do's and don'ts. And let me ask you, do I need to give you the list of do's and don'ts? Do I, do I, I mean, Pastor Tommy, I'm just, I'm struggling to figure out right from wrong. I know I'm saved, I know I have the Holy Spirit, I know the law of God is supposed to be written on my heart, but I need you to tell me a list of do's and don'ts. I need you to give me a list of TV shows I can watch, TV shows I can't watch. I need to know what music I can listen to, what music I can listen to. And that's what some people want. Now, some preachers too, they'll sometimes take the bait and get up. And they'll try to tell you. And they'll try to draw all these lines. And then, there's the trendies out there, they lose their minds. That's so legalistic. Where do you see in the Bible that we can't ever use drums? You know, where do we see in the Bible that, you know, that music has to have this specific beat? And in reality, it is. We kind of fall into a trap when we try showing these real specific things. Syncopation. You know, syncopation is a really bad word. If you're from like a Bob Jones Associated, Maranatha type church, syncopation is a bad word. And I, some of you, I don't even know what syncopation is. I'm not going to take the time to explain it right now. But there, but listen. I understand what people are saying with that. I'm not, I, I don't even want to take time to explain syncopation. But to just get up and declare something like that is sin, yes, that looks ridiculous. Because we don't see any verses in the Bible about syncopation. But at the same time, does that mean, you know, because I can't give like this mathematical, musical definition of where the lines are, does that mean we're not capable of figuring out and judging what music is meat and what is not? for a Christian, what is meat for church and things like that. I think we can. I actually think it's not that hard. But again, uh, you know, it's, it's one of these things where all of a sudden lascivious people though, it's like their brain falls out of their head. They get real ignorant and they get contentious and we don't need to fall for this. And we don't need to be ashamed because there are many Christians, they have just by following the leading of the Holy Spirit, by following their instincts, by using common sense, after they have gotten saved, they have done works meet for repentance. Whether they intended to do it or not, they just naturally walked away from some things that they were involved in. They started walking towards some things that they weren't involved in before. And it wasn't because anybody gave them a list. They were just using common sense. But then false prophets come in and then they start telling you that, hey, you didn't need to worry about any of that stuff. These people that are preaching these things that you are legalistic, they're legalists, and then all of a sudden you see Christians 
who start going back to their old ways, like it talks about in Second Peter. And we're not going to go through all that. I preached about that the other night. But this phrase, works meet for repentance, it could be applied in many ways. The works meet for repentance for the Jews would have looked very different than works meet for repentance for the Gentiles. And they said the same thing to both groups. But does anybody think... And, and so one of the things that would be meat for a Jew who gets saved, it would be meat for him after he gets saved to stop saying, I'm special because I have Abraham as my father. That would be appropriate for them to stop saying that. But would a Gentile need to stop saying that? Well, of course not because they never started saying that. They never had that problem. But at the same time too, you know, if you are a Jew practicing the law, practicing the customs and laws of the Jews, you're probably not living in fornication. You're probably not living in idolatry and things like that. Where if you're a Gentile and you get saved out of that mess, you know what you, and you know what they did, had to do? They had to command them to abstain from fornications, eating things strangled, pollutions of idols. Why? Because those were... Why didn't they tell the Jews to stop doing that? Well, because the Jews weren't really doing that. They had their areas of hang-ups, but the Gentiles had completely different areas where they had their hang-ups. In Galatians 2.14, says, But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the Gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the... Uh, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law only. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So when Paul made that statement, we who are not sinners, he is not going against what he said about for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He is talking very generally there where the, the Gentiles had a very sinful, heathen life where they had no regard for the law of God. They walked according to the course of this world, according to their flesh. They just gave themselves over to those things where the Jews, they did. They had a very moral way of life according to the law. And so that life that was outside of Judaism, that was con they were considered the sinners, the heathen. Now, what the Jews didn't understand at first is that they were sinners too. They were sinners too. But again, Paul is using this more like in a way too, like, you know, often too, you know, we might say that, like, you know, the, that bunch of sinners out there. Or are we saying that we're not sinners? We've never, but no, but we're not trying to live that way. We are actually making an attempt to live a moral life. And so, you know, there was, there was a very big difference between Jews and Gentiles. So when you say works meet for repentance, that means something completely different for the Jews as it does for the Gentiles. And so the, the Bible, it could not possibly create a list of do's and don'ts of what's appropriate for all the different societal norms in all countries throughout the centuries and even decades. It can't do that. You know how big our Bible would be if it gave a list of rules? Because think about this too. Think, how has rebel, you know, think about all the ways rebellion has manifested itself through, throughout just the decades throughout just the last century in America, the hippies. So what's a hippie? Uh, we all know what a hippie is, don't we? You know, especially in like the sixties and seventies, somebody that's wearing like flowers and fringes and long hair and tie dye and bell bottoms. And, you know, we all know what it looks like when you see one. When you see a hippie, like, that's a hippie. We, we, we all know a hippie when we see one. That was a very rebellious generation and that rebellion manifests itself in that way. You had the guys with the long hair and all that stuff. And here's the thing too. In that hippie movement, in that time, it was against the societal norm of the civilized people, of the regular people. You know, the, 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 most of them were clean shaven back then. That was kind of the look. And so you did. You had the, the, the hippies all had the beards, which created a generation of preachers that saw the rebellion of the hippie movement. And what they did is then, you know, and they did, they preached against the way that rebellion manifested itself. And during that time, the facial hair was one of those things. Now, some of those preachers, because they're never going to change, 
they are continuing to preach against beards, even though nobody associates that with rebellion today. I haven't even heard them, you know, they would probably still preach against bell-bottoms. Okay? And listen, today, we, I wouldn't preach against bell-bottoms because that's the complete opposite. You know, now they're wearing these pants that are super tight around the ankles. Isn't that weird? interesting how those things work? You know, how, how they went from bell-bottoms to now they're so tight, I don't even know how they get their foot through it. I just, it, it, it's weird. In fact, I was just in a public place yesterday, the day before, and I started going to a bathroom, but I saw a dude go walking in there that I don't know how he got those pants. I don't know how he got his foot through those pants. He was wearing jeans, and they were so tight around the ankles. It was disgusting. And I was like, I'm going to use the other bathroom. I didn't want to go in, I didn't want to, go in the bathroom with that guy. It was, it was absolutely disgusting. And it, it made no sense. But that's the way the rebellion's kind of manifesting itself today. And I did. I saw that and I made a judgment. It's like, that's not the kind of person you want to be in the bathroom with at the same time. Uh, you know, that is a, <laughs> that's, that's a judgment that I made. Now, do, you, do I have a chapter and verse against wearing jeans tied around your ankles? No. But am I, is it not wise that when you see a guy that looks like a flaming fruit to not go in the bathroom same time as that guy? Is that not just wisdom? Obviously, you know, we are allowed to, we are supposed to make judgments. We are supposed to follow our instincts. You know, were preachers wrong to preach against how the rebellion manifests itself in that day? Of course they weren't. Um, you know, did they have to give chapter and, chapter and verse against back when it was greasy hair and leather jackets? That used to be the way it manifests itself. Hey, listen, can I show you a verse in the Bible that says the sin to have greasy hair? Can I show you a verse in the Bible that says the sin to wear a leather jacket? Okay. I, I, I don't think either of those things are sins. However, during a time when that was the kind of the way the rebellion manifests itself, I can see why preachers were getting up and if he'd see a group of guys out in the auditorium, they all had greasy hair and leather jackets and stuff, he's probably, you know, he's probably going to start ripping on rebellion and telling them to respect their parents and get a job and things like that. That was just how it manifests itself during that time. Now, you know, do I think it's a sin to have curly hair? No, but that's what I'm going to preach against. You know, these guys and their Zoomer perms. You know, I think it's, I think it's revolting. You know, and it just shows too that you are just a conformist to society. You're going to go along with everything they do. But, but, sometimes, but here's the thing too. Sometimes we can get overly focused on the elements of a culture rather than the actual specific sins that are prevalent in that culture. So for example, is it a sin to go around wearing a leather jacket, a bandana on your head, wearing chains, gloves with the fingers cut out, Anybody know what kind of person I'm talking about? I didn't say anything about a bike. I said absolutely nothing about a bike, ladies and gentlemen. Are you talking about a bicycle? Have you ever seen anybody wear, drive, ride a bike? Why, why can't you ride a bicycle wearing chains and leather and bandanas and gloves with the fingers cut out? Uh, you, you know why? Because those things say a lot about you. Now, are any of those things I mentioned a sin? Is riding a motorcycle a sin? Of course not. That's not sinful. But at the same time, too, so, again, what are the sins of the biker world? Okay, well, none of those things I mentioned are a sin, but I don't know. I just got a sneaky suspicion if you're doing all that stuff, I'll bet you got a whole bunch of tattoos. I'll bet you go to biker bars. You know, I'll bet your, your girlfriend dresses exactly the same way. Probably got a tramp stamp and all that kind of stuff. I mean, again, when you fit every single stereotype of a group, don't be surprised when the sins associated with that group get connected to you. But so again, obviously, we need to stay focused and call sins, the, you know, we need to call out the actual sins. But we understand too, there are things that can associate you with that sin. And so what everyone needs to understand, again, if you, if you fit every one of those things, people are, they're going to associate things with you. And so, that, that phrase, works meet for repentance, there's, it, 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 says a lot, it, you know, it says a lot of things. It's a very general statement. But also this phrase, it doesn't give specifics, but without a doubt, it assumes the listener will understand the specifics without saying all of them. 
It, 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 that's, that's very important. And so while this phrase can and should be applied to all people throughout all centuries and all countries, how it will be specifically applied will be very different. It will be very different for sure. So if I'm preaching about, you know, not being rebellious in the 60s, their pants are going to get a little tighter at the bottom from the bell bottoms. If I'm preaching that at this crowd, their pants are going to get a little looser at the bottom. And I know that sounds so pathetic. I know that sounds so legalistic. So, Pastor, why would you even bring up, you know, bell bottoms and fringes and flowers and tie-dye? None of those things are sin. No, but drugs are. You know, the, the fornication is a sin. Oh, so you're just saying everybody that does that stuff is probably fornication. Hey, you know what? I'm sure there's exceptions. Just like I'm sure there's people out there wearing jeans like I saw that guy going into the bathroom are that probably aren't homos, but at the same time, I'm not taking any chances. I'm not, I'm not taking any chances. When you dress like him, look like him, does every guy that talks with a lisp, is he a homo? You know, is every guy, you know, what, all, all the stuff that these flamers do. Painting their nails. Okay? Can I show you anything in the Bible that says a guy can't paint his nails? Absolutely not. But let me tell you, you're a fool to think that that should not be a massive red flag. What guy wants to take time to paint his nails? You know, it's, it, I mean, that's a- absolutely nuts. And so, this phrase, two works meet for repentance, it can and it should be applied to all people throughout all, all ages, throughout all centuries and all countries. But how it's applied will be different. There will be times where it shouldn't be necessary for us to get specific. Look what it says in Second Tim, or First Timothy two nine. It says, "In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works." That word becometh or becoming it means that suits or gives a pleasing effect or attractive appearance is to a person or thing so there is there is a way a woman who is professing godliness with good works there is a way that is becoming for them to dress which means there's a way that is unbecoming for them to dress now if you're a pastor skinny jeans you are going to at this point say all right show me a you know, show me a verse in the bible that says my wife can't dress like taylor swift okay I, like I said, I can't find all the specifics in there. I mean, I can't about covering certain areas and things like that. But, but e- either, either way you look at it, there is a way that societies throughout time have dressed. There, there's a way that godly women adorn themselves. There is a way that ungodly women adorn themselves. There is a way that submissive wives looked, acted, behaved. And there is a way that unsubmissive wives looked, acted, and behaved. In Proverbs, when he talks about the woman who had the attire of a harlot, do we think it looked like the attire of a harlot today? No, that changes over time, doesn't it? But did you know, when we're ta- we, it's a, it would be appropriate, it was meet for a preacher to get up and to preach against women wearing the attire of a harlot. And you know what he doesn't have to do? He doesn't have to go and give historical evidence of how harlots adorned themselves back in Solomon's day. He doesn't have to do that. You know, and we, God expects us to have common sense. God expects us to understand those things. I told the story uh, recently when I was going to the airport. It was super early in the morning. It was, it was real dark out. I'm in a nasty area there by the Midway Airport. And I see a woman walking down the street dressed in an inappropriate way. And I'm thinking, what is this woman thinking being out at this time of night and especially dressed like that? But then I saw a few more and then I realized, Why? She was out there dressed like that. And you can't, oh, how dare you judge that way? Um, you know, listen, it's called, I'm not void of understanding, like the young man in Proverbs 7, who went the way to her house in, in, in the nighttime and, and paid attention to that woman with the attire of a harlot. And it did. I, well, I didn't realize it at first. Then it ended after I saw the other ones. All of a sudden, it's like, duh, that's why she's dressed that way. That's a harlot. That's a harlot. And I made, I made that judgment. And I, I would, if there, I, there's no way I can prove it, but even if there, if I knew I could prove it right now, I would bet a million dollars that she was not dressed the way the harlot was in Proverbs chapter seven. 
It manifests itself completely different, but the same, the same principle applies. And so the reason too, so we don't need to get specific on a lot of these things with the scriptures is because how these things manifest itself over time will change. It says that which becometh women professing godliness. And what the trendies will do, they will demand, you got to show me a Bible verse that says what's becoming, that shows how far the skirt has to go and how much has to be covered and, and what kind of materials can be used and what kind of hair the woman can have. No, I don't. Anyone with common sense can just look around at society today and we can figure these things out. And if you have to be told, you know, it, it's either because you're a babe in Christ, you know, and you're just very simple right now, and that's fine, if that's, but you know, you need to grow, uh, or you're just being rebellious and contentious, and we'll see that in the scriptures here in a little bit. So we all have, we all have a God-given ability to judge some things. Even animals have instincts. They know when something doesn't smell right. They know when they, when they could be in danger. God put something in man. So we do. We know when we see that dude with his nails painted and his pants are too tight and all this kind of stuff, don't go where he's at. Stay away. Run. We, we all understand that. But lascivious people, they're, they're, what they're kind of they're gaslighting. They're shaming us into ignoring all our God-given instincts when we observe behaviors that do not rest well with our spirit. And there are, there, I mean, often... People are seeing things. They will observe stuff that happens in churches. They'll observe behaviors people have. And it's like, this is making me very uncomfortable. And what do they do? They gaslight you. They try to tell you, you're just being legalistic. You're just being judgmental. You're just being a holier than thou. You're just being a goody two-shoes. No, this is your instincts kicking in. This is the Holy Spirit telling you, hey, there's something wrong with this. But I don't have, you, you got to show me a specific verse that calls out what I just did. No, I don't. I absolutely don't have to do that. Look what it says in Ephesians 4.17. Again, the Bible sometimes, it uses very broad, general statements and it expects us to be able to judge these things. In Ephesians 4.17, it says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth... He's talking to Gentiles. So these are people who have gotten saved, Gentiles who have gotten saved. From henceforth, from now on, walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. What does that look like? What does that look like? Okay, now folks, we know how that looks today in America. And it probably looks, while similar, it's going to be different than how it looked 2,000 years ago in Greek culture. And you know what I am not required to do? I am not required to get up here and say, all right, the Bible has commanded us not to walk as other Gentiles walk. So let's go study Greek culture from 2,000 years ago and find out how they walked and those are the things you're not allowed to do. No, that's not how that works. We should be, we should apply these principles today. Notice it says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. What did that look like 2,000 years ago? I don't know for sure, but I can tell you exactly what it looks like today. It looks like these people, too, who are just giving themselves over to everything that society says you should have. People are very materialistic. They've got to wear the fancy clothes. They've got to go on the trips. They've got to, they've got to have these certain looks. You know, I mean, when you, do, you sound really petty when you start getting specific about all these things, but we all know it when we see it. Just go find the top ten Instagram girls today, and you know what? They will have so much in common, it won't even be funny. They will do the same weird poses. They will wear the same type of clothes. Why? Because these people have given themselves over to lasciviousness and it manifests itself in a specific way today and it will be a little bit different 10 years from now too. And their kids will all be making fun of them and for their heritage and stuff that they had. But again, they were just going along with the culture during that time and we should be able to judge these things. And so, again, let's, let's just suppose too, what if, what if all of the sodomites what if the new thing in the LGBTQIASDD plus community, what if they all started shaving their eyebrows? Okay? That would be the least weird thing that they do. But let's just say that they did that. Okay? Would it not be appropriate for us to tell young people in our church, don't shave your eyebrows? I mean, listen, I don't think, I mean, 
I don't know who wants to sh- would want to shave their eyebrows. <laughs> but again, I don't see anything. Can I show you a verse in the Bible that says don't shave your eyebrows? But you know what? I can show you a verse that says be not conformed to this world. I, you know, I, I, I already showed you the verse that said too, or no, I haven't got to that yet. Look what it says in Ephesians 5.10. Ephesians 5.10 says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. What were the unfruitful works of darkness 2,000 years ago in Greek culture? I don't know for sure, but you know what? I sure know what they are today. And you know what? We are supposed to reprove these things. And if all of a sudden, all the sodomites start shaving their eyebrows, if Taylor Swift goes and she shaves her eyebrows tonight, and then all of a sudden, all the girls in America start shaving their eyebrows, and the girls in our church start shaving their eyebrows, you better believe I'm going to start preaching some sermons against being conformed to the world and against having wicked role models and things like that because... There's no doubt why they're shaving their eyebrows. They're trying to fit in with a very wicked culture. And would that not be wrong to do? But can I show you a verse against it? Can anybody show me a verse against shaving your eyebrows? I I can't find it. Some women shave their eyebrows and they put fake ones on there too. I don't know. That's kind of weird. I don't know if I can... I don't have a verse against it, but I'm going to tell my wife not to do it. And, and, I, and, then I, and then she has a Bible verse. Listen to your husband. <laughs> Submit to your husband because th- that, that would just be weird. I've seen two where they get them tattooed. I saw a lady one time. She did. She had like tattooed, tattooed like cat-like eyebrows. She, and she, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming she painted. I don't think you tattooed there. But she had like these black things on there. But she looked like a cat. It was weird. It was really weird. And I can't find a Bible verse against that either. But you know what? I think it's wrong. I think, I think it's a sin to do something like that. So, again, if the sodomites all start doing something like that, I actually do have a verse because it's that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. That's why, that, that's the verse. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So, in that scenario where the sodomites are shaving their eyebrows to identify themselves, what good fruit can come from shaving your eyebrows. It says the unfruitful works of darkness. What good fruit comes from that kind of thing? Obviously nothing. What good fruit? What are you accomplishing with the skinny jeans? What do you, there, there's nothing good that comes from that. It's just something that identifies you with a wicked culture. It's something, too, that parents should freak out when they see because it shows that your child, it is, it's, it's looking after a bad crowd. It's following a very bad crowd, a bad culture. And you know what? they're probably going to get involved with all the sins that that crowd is doing too. I'll bet you, you know, I'm hearing some crazy numbers now about the percentage of young people identifying as LGBT. And let me tell you something. You go find a group of people dressing like the world, conform to the world, a bunch of skinny britches, boys with Zoomer perms. And you know what? I will bet, I would bet you that the percentage of them identifying as queer is the same as whatever those statistics are. But in a crowd of people where the men dress like men, you know, you, you know, you know, you're not going to see a lot of that in like the farmer community, you know, where they dress like men, you know, it, you're not, you're not going to see it. You're not going to see that in the Amish community. You're not going to see that in a lot of these places that are, that are different, that clearly are not conformed to these things. So again, you know, when you, I, when you're doing all these outward things that might even necessarily be sins, just don't be surprised when everybody thinks that you're probably participating in all the sins everyone else is doing who promotes that kind of thing. And so for the, uh, and, you know, and you might remember this too, you know, a while back, you know, you had the debate going out there about whether cussing or not was really a thing. But here's the question. Hey, can I give you a list of words in the Bible that we're not allowed to say? Well, no, because if obviously if those words were then in the Bible, then they would be pure words and we'd be allowed to say them, right? But no, Listen, how does our lost world express their anger? What do people typically say when they get mad at you if you run a stop sign or something like that? What gestures do they pretty much throw you away? Can anybody show a verse in the Bible that says, I can't put my hands in certain shapes and give you a dirty look? I can't do that. But there's a way. We know it when we see it, don't we? We absolutely know it. You know, when, when discussing certain things that should only be between a husband and a wife, what terms are people using? What crude, vulgar terms are people using 
to express these kind of things? What words are, do people typically use when being irreverent and disgusting? And again, even if I made a, li- a list of cuss words for 2024, you know, in 100 years, it'll probably be different. There will be another way that Hollywood is expressing their frustration, disgust, anger, and things like that. These things will change over time. And so to demand a Bible verse that says, thou shalt not do whatever, that is just being contentious. That is the attitude of the lascivious. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. All things are lawful. I can do whatever I want. Uh, all things are not expedient. Meats for the belly. Belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. All things are not... Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.23 All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that ye asking no question for conscience sake. And there he's talking, he's specifically talking about meat and things that you eat. And so we're not going to go and go through all those passages, but if something is perceived as wicked, idolatrous, it would be wrong for you to go do that thing and to participate in that thing if it's going to be offensive. It's not going to edify it's not going to help. And so again, if I, if I sit down to eat somewhere, and again, this doesn't even really apply in our culture. Do we know of anybody in America sacrificing meat to idols? I mean, I'm sure in a city somewhere there's probably somebody doing it. But I mean, has anybody ever even come across that in their life where people have offered you food and offered you meat that was sacrificed to idols? Of course not. That's just not something that is going on in this culture. I'm sure some parts of the world, that kind of thing is going on. And so what Paul is showing, you know, technically, if I eat meat that's sacrificed to idols, I am not defiling myself. It's not going to hurt my relationship with God. But this would be very offensive to somebody who believes that this is sinful, that believes that idols are something. And so he's like, I should refrain from that kind of thing. And that, that's what he's saying here. And so what often though, what the wicked will do, what the lascivious will do, okay, what they do, they do something unsuitable. They do something that is not meat. They do something that edifies not. Something that is not expedient. Something that is offends. Something that is associated with the unfruitful works of darkness. And then they demand you show them a verse that says, thou shalt not do that specific thing. Isn't that weird? Okay, that it's it's very obvious what they're doing. And so in 2024, are certain words that are not in the Bible that do not edify, that are inappropriate, that are offensive, that edify not? Okay, so if we want to get real technical for these people, then their sin is not the transgression of saying an English word that the Bible forbids. Do we have anything in the Scriptures that show English words that the Bible forbids? Of course not. You can't even find English in the Bible. Okay? Obviously, you can't. But their sin what is and would be being offensive. Being uncaring. Being, you know, being, um, doing things that are not expedient. Doing things that edify. Are we not commanded to edify? Are we not commanded to not be offensive? And everyone knows what kind of language is offensive and what isn't? There, and, and anybody too who tries to justify, justify the using of profanity and things like that, any guy that has red blood in his veins, if I went and I spoke to their wife using some of these words, they'd probably clock me one. And I would have it coming. You know why? Because that's not appropriate. You can't show me a verse in the Bible that says, I can't say these words to your wife. I don't need a verse in the Bible. That's my law says, you don't talk that way to my wife. And you know what? In a lot of our society, there's, there are things that would be very inappropriate. There are some things in other cultures, too, that aren't, that aren't inappropriate there. For example, if you go into a Muslim country, in many countries, it's not inappropriate for two men to greet each other and kind of kiss each other in the cheeks. And you know what? And people don't think they're queers when they do it. But in America, 
That's not appropriate. Do you understand how, you know, again, during different times, different cultures, some things are appropriate, some are inappropriate. And then if somebody comes along and demands, you got to show me a verse that says I can't do what is considered inappropriate, you know, and it has to be specifically related to that very thing. No, it's being inappropriate. It's being offensive. It's giving the appearance of evil. All these different things. There's, there's many things that you're violating, but when people get busted, when they get called out, they get contentious and they demand that you give a specific. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians 11. This is not a new thing. Any sin we see people doing, you know, it's, it's always been going on. It, it's always been going on. But those who require specifics, those that you demand, show me that thou shalt not, they're contentious and they're rebellious. 1 Corinthians 11.13 Judging yourselves, it is, com- is it comely that a woman pray to God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now why did he say this? Say First off, where in the Bible does it teach that a man can't have long hair? Did you know the only place is really right here? And what Paul is doing is he's explaining something that is going on that was inappropriate. You had women praying with their heads uncovered. And he makes it clear too, he's not talking about putting a doily on your head. He's talking, it's, it's long hair. Her hair is given her for a covering. That, that's, that's, that's very clear. But Paul, he appeals to nature. Hey, this is just common sense. Long hair is pretty and guys aren't supposed to be pretty. Women are supposed to be the pretty ones. What's going on? What, you know, it, he, Paul's appealing to common sense right here. But then, again, he didn't have a specific verse that he could go to. So he said, if any seem to be contentious, you know what? We have no such custom, neither any of the churches of God. You know, he, what's he doing? He's using the good churches. Look at what the godly do. There's a way that the godly behaves. There's a way that the ungodly Behave. You don't see godly men going around with long hair. You don't see godly women going around with their hair short. You don't see this kind of thing. And for a woman to pray like this, this is very uncomely. This is very unseemly. This is embarrassing. And he's like, you know what? If somebody's going to be contentious, go ahead and use other churches as precedent. And again, too, for those who want to argue that it's okay to just use profanity and just every filthy communication, use the worst words that people, most disgusting language in our English language in a pulpit, you know what? You're not, you don't see that in Baptist churches. You don't see that, in, you don't see that in places where people are living godly. You don't see that, you know, if you can only find that in some weird fringe, wacky fault, you know, group, fringe group somewhere, that ought to tell you something. You don't see godly people speaking this way. You don't see them behaving this way. This is not how they act. This is not how they behave. But if you want to be contentious, because I can't show a verse that says, thou shalt not say this verse in this, or this word in this order, and all this kind of thing, you know what? I've never seen, I've never seen any of the godly people do it in my life. I've never seen this kind of thing going on in legitimate churches anywhere. So again, it says something if you always need a law for everything. First Timothy 1.8 But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers, murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is always about behavior. And, so, and, I, and I, I need to shut this down, but I, I've, I've had people contact me before who have gone to churches that have like a lot of rules. Okay? Folks, do we have a lot of rules around this church? I don't think we do. We we have not had to put up signs just giving all these rules. I don't have to like get up every Sunday and read a list of rules for your kids and things like that. But I have talked to some people like, yeah, our church we were going to is really weird. They have this rule. And they're like, tell me all these rules that they have. And that sounds really weird. You know why? Because I'm thinking that would be really weird if I had to tell that to the people in our church. Because I'm thinking about Liberty Baptist Church. And in Liberty Baptist Church... You know, everybody here is pretty normal. We don't need a ton of rules. But it's like, you know, I try not to judge those churches when I hear about that because maybe they just have a really unruly crowd. Maybe they're reaching a really rough people. And so maybe they have to have rules. 
no smoking pot in the church parking lot. You know, maybe they have to have rules. You know, no, uh, I don't know, no ladies arm wrestling in the back of the auditorium or something. I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe that kind of stuff's going on in their church, but it's like, when, when I hear about these things, I just think, well, you know, maybe they just got a bunch of weirdos in their church. And if we do, if we get a bunch of weirdos in our church, if we get a bunch of people acting like maniacs, we're probably going to have to have a bunch of rules. I'm glad I haven't had to put a sign on the bathroom saying no getting the toilet paper wet and making it stick to the ceiling. I shouldn't need to do that. But if we've got a crazy group, I might have to do stuff like that. You know, but, uh, but laws are made for the unruly, the, the unlawful, for wicked people. And so the Bible doesn't always get specific because it doesn't always need to. And people, when they demand the specifics, it's usually because they're trying to justify behavior that clearly is inappropriate, that is not meat, that is not suitable. And so having said all this, I do need to tell you what works. You know, I, I shouldn't need to tell you what works meat for repentance are. I will if I need to. But is it absolutely necessary that I prove to you from the Bible that egging your neighbor's house is a violation of the command to love your neighbor? Do I need to tell you that? Uh, I never said anything about, about not egging your ho- neighbor's house. It's called love your neighbor. That's not loving your neighbor. I don't see anything in the Bible that says that. That's clearly an act of hatred. Okay? Egging somebody's house is a way to express hatred. TPing somebody's house, that could be an act of love. It's just kind of a prank. You know, that, that's not as offensive. But egging, it's always negative. It, it always is. And I can't show you one Bible verse on that. You know, do I have to show you the list of English no words? Is that, do I need to put up a sign? Oh, I can't put it up in a sign, which words you can't say here in the church. But you know, <laughs> then all the little kids, Dad, what does that mean? I, I shouldn't need to do that. So even in areas where we don't have chapter and verse, do I need to show you chapter and verse? Do I need to show you a verse that says don't go around strangling people? I won't, I won't make them die just until they pass out. No, I, I, shouldn't need to show, I shouldn't need to give you a Bible verse on that. If you are saved, the law of God is written in your heart and the Holy Spirit will lead you to act appropriately. And so while teachers are great, there are some things you shouldn't need a teacher for. 1 John 2.26, I'll end with this. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it taught you, ye shall abide in him. If you're saved, you have an anointing, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the law of God written in your heart, and it can teach you. And I am here to help when needed, but you know what? It's my goal as a pastor to get the people in our church where I don't have to tell them everything that they can and can't do. I don't want you to have to come and you know I, I have to like approve all your music and your movies. I don't want to do all that kind of stuff. I hope you learn enough about the scripture you can figure it out on your own. And we won't have to make rules against guys dressing like ballerinas and wearing you know unitards to the church and things like that. I, I don't think we need. To ha- I don't think I should have to tell you that. I think that should be a gimme. And, and I, I think it is. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much. For your word, I pray, Lord, you'll help us to uh, have the wisdom uh, to follow these things. Lord, I pray you'll help us have the wisdom to ask questions when we need to ask questions and the humility to do that. But I pray you'll help us, Lord, to learn to uh, study your word for ourselves and to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and to do these things that you've written on our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.